Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, as we come to our study tonight, we must remember, I don't know if you guys remember this, but um, it's that old adage. Do you guys remember that old adage that we've been taught for many years, two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrongs don't make it right. And what we learned growing up based on this adage is that we were, they were, we were taught to emphasize that it's not acceptable to do something bad to someone just because they did something bad to you first. We understand the premise. I was like, hey, you don't, just because they did something bad, you don't do something uh, worse to them. And two wrongs do not make a situation better, but if you're being honest, guess what? It somehow gives us some relief that we defended the wrong with retribution, okay? So you go, what do you mean? Well, in other words, let's be honest. We feel better getting even, okay? We feel this way. We feel better getting even, and yet... In the word of God, as believers, here's what his word tells us, okay? In Romans chapter 19, verse 12, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, verse 19, the word of God declares, it says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Okay? So, believers should never avenge themselves but leave it to the wrath of God. Why? Because Paul just told us in the scripture that I just read that vengeance is mine, I will repay. And you go, amen, but, but Ben, I live in the real world and when somebody does something mean to me, I just, oh, I want to get them back. But no, no, actually, what did Jesus command us, guys? What did Jesus tell us? Now, here's something that we can really take deep in our gut and, and here's what we could do. He says, if your enemy is hungry... You're to feed him. What? Jesus said, listen, if your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. He says, for in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay? So that is really strange unless you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if my enemy wants to harm me, I am not going to go buy him a Coke. Okay? I am not going to buy my friend a taco plate, okay, based on the fact that, I mean, I'm just, that's, well, yeah, Ben, that's that's human. Yeah, that's again. But this is what Jesus says under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how I'm supposed to live. So as we continue in Genesis chapter 34, guys, we see a tragic end to the men of Shechem. Okay? So this is not a fun story at all. Now, most of my pastor friends right now are, are preaching on COVID-19 and they're preaching messages of hope and I don't see anything wrong with that. But what I'd like to do is just continue on our verse-by-verse study so that we can have some sort of normalcy back in our lives. And this is kind of where we were, okay? We, we stopped, we did some interviews, but, but now we're back in Genesis chapter 34. And of course, it's one of those where it's not a fun story, okay? And you go, why? 
because Jacob boys come in from the field and they're fuming at the fact that Shechem, okay, Hamor's son, raped their sister Dinah. They don't say much, but devise an evil plan to get even not only with Shechem for what he did, but they're going to take the plan to a whole new level. And it's like, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's like they're not going to get just even with Shechem. They're going to get even with all the men of the city. Now, I want you for just a moment to think about what they are doing, okay? Because last week we talked about this. We talked about in verses 13 or 34, 13 through 17. It said, But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and spoke deceitfully. Why? Because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. So you guys get the picture. And then in verse 15, he says, But on this condition, okay, now, so, so now they're talking, now they're going for it, but on this con- condition, we will consent to you if you will become as we are. If every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you. We will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. That's the wrap, okay? So here's what we learned. Evil intentions covered up by spiritual words. I wish we could say, man, the the sons of Jacob, man, were acting like the 12 tribes of Israel. They were just on fire for the Lord, and they knew God, and Jacob was there, and he was a holy man of God. But quite honestly, we see that they had evil, evil intentions covered up by spiritual words. And, oh, the, the application for that church is that we must never use the holy word of God for evil intentions. We must never use the holy word of God for evil intentions. And I've seen it played out so many times where we'll take a, 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 a scripture out of context and we'll use it to get our way. Well, here's what the Bible says, and you're supposed to be a Christian. And the word of God says you're supposed to... and. And one of them that's used just quite oftenly out of context is, woman, you're supposed to submit to me. And if you submit, I'm the king of this castle and you better do what I say. And they take that and evil intentions with spiritual words. Now, we need to chat, guys. We need to talk for just a moment. And you go, why? Well, God told Abraham that his descendants after him, had to, what, circumcise the flesh of their foreskins. This is God, right? Abraham, this is it. He says, now, this is a covenant. You understand, this is a covenant between God and Abraham, and it applied to all the males of his, of his generation and future generations. Now, all had to be circumcised when? On the eighth day after birth. The circumcision was seen as a covenant between the participant and God. And this was significant because it was a reminder of a holy covenant embedded in their flesh. 
Okay? So you understand, circumcision wasn't just like, hey, you need to do this. Circumcision is really simple. It was a covenant sign to God. Now, here's why I bring this up, okay? Because in verses 13 through 17, we learn something very interesting. Jacob's boys, they come in from the field. They're very upset, but they felt justified because Shechem treated their sister, Dinah, as a prostitute. He took her. He forced her. He raped her, if you will. He kept her in his home. He fell in love with her, was willing to pay any price for her, if you recall. So in reality, Shechem treated Dinah like a prostitute. And the sons of Jacob, her brothers, felt justified in their request. Now, what we don't understand is, and what we don't see, is they were actually prostituting the sign of God's covenant for their own plan. So in one area... Okay, we see a wrong. We see, okay, they, he's treating her like a prostitute. But in a whole other area, we see them, guys, think about it. They were prostituting a very covenant, a very spiritual thing that was between God and them. So what happens? Well, let me bring you up to speed, okay? Jacob and Esau, you guys remember, they meet, okay? Jacob goes one way, he goes to Shechem. If you're taking notes, you'll kind of remember Shechem. If you'll cross the Jordan River and go directly across, he'll be right here. Um, Esau goes down to Seir or, or, I'm sorry, down to Moab, basically. And so Jacob ends up in a, in a, uh, a plot of ground near Shechem. You guys understand? He didn't go directly into Shechem. Now, In further study, you guys remember Shechem was a place where you had Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and this is where they would, uh, this is all part of that. So, So Esau goes home, Jacob goes in another direction. Well, guess what? Dinah, in chapter 34, decides to go out for a walk, but it wasn't just like, I'm bored at home, I need to go out. The Bible says that she actually went with the intent to engage in with the women of the city. Now, understand The Canaanite people here, the Hivites that were living in Shechem were very ungodly, and the women were ungodly as well, okay? And so she goes out. Guess what? Shechem says, whoa. Now, she's about 15 or 16, and I don't know what he's thinking, but he sees her, and he goes, man, she's good-looking, whatever he thought. And guess what? He wants her, but instead of, let's use this word, instead of courting her, Instead of dating her, instead of um, helping her to grow to be a beautiful bride, guess what he does? He simply forces her to sleep with him, and we call it rape. Now, last week, guys, we covered the first 17 verses, and we learned some crazy things. You go, what did we learn? We learned a lot from God's word. You go, well, like what? For example, here's what we learned. If you're taking note, guys, what we need to do is we must be so careful who we allow ourselves and our children to hang out with. You understand that? Well, Pastor Ben, time out. I thought we were supposed to win the world for Jesus. We're supposed to just go and hang out. and We got to be so careful, okay? Now, I use the word hang out 
Because a lot of times the people we hang out with will pull us back into the world than we really trying to pull them up. So we have to be careful, specifically with our kids. Okay? We learned, guys, last week that our children, okay, we need to warn, lovingly warn our children and basically labor with our children the dangers of the world we live in. Let's be honest. Sometimes our kids think we know nothing at all. You know nothing at all. Blah, 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 blah. But here's the point, guys. The point is that we have to lovingly labor and say, guys, listen, there's dangerous. There's danger in the world. The world isn't all what you think it is. Yeah, but I see sunshine and I see butterflies and I see stars and I see fireworks. It's going to be great. No, no, no. That's not the world. That's what the world wants you to think. And so it's my job, sweetie, it's my job, son, to make sure that you're, you're, you're grounded and that you don't fall for those tricks, the deceitfulness of the world. And he said, that's what we need to do. It's our job to lovingly warn them of this ever-changing and violent world. Number three, we learned what a godly husband looks like. A godly husband. You go, what's that? A godly husband is one who lays down his life for his wife. That's a godly husband. Okay? Because Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, you guys know this. It says, for husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. We learned what a godly husband looks like. Oh, how I long, how I long to, to see godly men and godly husbands taking back the reins and laying down their lives for their wives. Oh, not just because we want to be seen or we think it's popular or it's something we do, but that our wife would just lovingly come by our side because she knows that we would be laying down our lives for them. We learned last week, guys, that we should be grieved and angry over sin. What sin? Whose sin? Well, number one, our sin, guys, and then the sins of the world, okay? We should be grieved over that. We should see. We, we used to sing a song that said, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. And you know what breaks his heart? Sin. Because sin separates us from a loving God. And we should not just be going, well, okay, it's sin. Everybody sins. I'm a sinner. We should be going, oh, this makes me so mad. I hate not only our sin, our sin first, but also the sins of the world. The sins of the world. Jesus told us, guys, in Matthew 24, as the disciples came to him and asked him, hey, Jesus, hey, Lord, when is it going to be the end of the world? Do you know what the first thing he said? He said, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. That was his first thing. He's going to later on say, hey, watch out for earthquakes and watch out for, for I mean, all famines and pestilence and all that. But he tells them, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And sometimes, guys, in the midst of this COVID-19 and this coronavirus, I look and my heart breaks because I see people being deceived. 
oh, not that they shouldn't be careful and not that you shouldn't wash your hands and not that you shouldn't wear a mask and not that you shouldn't wear gloves, but just be careful not to be deceived and to follow everything that the media is telling you, but to pray. And, and we should never take sin lightly. And that's what we learned last week. So now we come to part two in this crazy story of Shechem. Now, before we jump in, let me remind you, okay? Because one of the biggest questions is, where's God in all this? Okay, chapter 34, where's God? Where's God? Well, let me remind you, we see no mention of God. We see no mention of the boys or Jacob seeking God, asking God, fasting or praying. And so the question is, where's God in this story? Well, Jacob and his sons make no mention of him, and they don't invite him into the situation. You understand. They've moved to Shechem, outside of Shechem. Dinah goes in. Now we've created a situation. But never do they say, let's take a moment, let's pray, let's fast, let's ask God what he wants us to do, and let us move in that. They don't. Now, here's the lesson. You guys ready? The lesson is, as believers... Let us always invite Jesus into our situations. No, no, I'm serious when I say that. Look at me. We we should always that always be praying and asking him what we should do. Lord, what should we do? I'm in this situation. I'm in this uh, this place at work. I'm in this place in my life. I have this relationship. And we should be asking the Holy Spirit how to guide us daily with everything that's going on these days. Listen, I got a text from my pastor today, and he just said, day 52. And I know what he means. I know what he means. I know it's been, it's been a long, long year. 52 days we've been under all of this COVID-19, and it just seems like he tells me it's Groundhog Day, man. It's the same thing over, and we don't know what to do. But here's the one thing, guys. We need to. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, guide us in what you want us to do, even in times like this. How do you want me to respond? And it's hard. Because even, even the most godliest people get anxious and get tired and get frustrated and go, oh, I just, even they do. And how much more do we or should we ask the Holy Spirit? Guys, think about this, okay? Think about something. In our study in 1 Corinthians, we learned that the church in Corinth was very carnal. Okay, if you've been keeping with us up on, on Sunday, um, here's the problem. They thought that they knew it all. They thought that they knew all things, but they, they thought in a more worldly way. Okay, so they're, they're very, very carnal. And of course, the Corinthians, um, they had the Holy Spirit. You understand that. But they still missed, listen to me, what Paul was trying to teach them because they were thinking from a worldly point of view rather than from the Spirit. Okay, this is the church at Corinth. I thought, we are in a pandemic in our world. And you and I, we're getting news from every possible source out there. If you are on Facebook, you get it. If you're on Instagram, you get it. If you have Messenger, you get it. If you go on MSN, you guys understand. We're getting every type of of news from every possible source. Man, I have been given so many videos to watch. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Now, 
Here's what I've determined. Here's what I've determined. Guys, we need to walk through what we're going on, listen to me, with spiritual eyes. Okay? There's more going on than what we see. You understand that. The church at Corinth was walking, and they were looking at stuff in a worldly point of view, and they're going, oh, okay, okay, this is what's going to happen. And, uh, and, but, but, but here's what I've determined. Guys, guys, look at this with the eyes spiritually. Look at this. See, if we were the church at Corinth, here's what we might be thinking. You understand? The, the, the carnal church, here's what we might be thinking. When this is all over and we go back to normal. Have you heard that? How many times have we heard that? When this is all over and we go back to normal. Okay, say it with me at home. Normal, right? When we can go out to eat. When we can shake hands and we can fellowship and we can go to ball games and Oh, oh and, and I can't wait for fall football season. It's coming up, okay? Because that's what we live for. When things go back, if we were the church at court, this is how we would think. This is how we would think. In other words, if we keep looking for the going back to normal, going back to normal, Paul would remind us, and he says, guys, open your spiritual eyes. In other words, he might be saying, this, is, this just might be a dress rehearsal for the soon return of the Lord Jesus. If you guys look at Scripture, every time something was going to happen, God obviously prepared his people. He warned them in a specific way. He showed them. Um, and I believe that this could be, hey, it's a dress rehearsal for what, what could come. But I want to look at it through spiritual eyes. Well, Ben, you're going to hyper-spiritualize everything. You're the pastor of this. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. I don't just want to see it. Hey, I just, this is worldly, and I can't wait to, to be able to go to a restaurant and, and see people again. And Yeah, man, I love that. I want to do that, okay? I can't wait to have our church services where I can hug you again. Okay, this is really awkward when we go like this and we're, we're trying to air hug. That's just really awkward, okay? But you know what Paul would tell us? Hey, in the midst of COVID-19, if Paul was here, he said, invite Jesus into that world. Invite Jesus into that world. He said, let him lead you. Do not act out in the flesh. Be led by his spirit. Okay, so you go, what's the application? Okay, before we jump into our text, guys, remember... When you're feeling anxious, I was today. When you're feeling overwhelmed, yeah, that's happened to me. When you're feeling like, man, I just don't want to do another day of this, that's so important for us to take a moment and say, Lord, I need to invite you back into this. Help me to see how you see it. Help me to walk in you. That's what Paul would tell us. And that's what I would, that I would tell not only myself, but you. Guys, when you're, when you're stressed out and, and, you know, and I mean, we are. It's like, man, it's just, it's just been one big groundhog day after another. Invite Jesus to come in. Say, God, guide me. Help me to do what you want me to do. Help me to see things the way you want me to see them. Hey, when you go to the grocery store and you're just, and you're just really freaked out because everyone's wearing masks and blah, 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 blah. 
Look at it through spiritual eyes where you can see the hurt in people's eyes and the worry in people's eyes. God, who do you want me to, who do you want me to minister to? Who do you want me to see? Alex and I went to the hardware store today, went to um, the lumber store, if you will, and um, I saw a lot of people there that were just, they're doing projects at home and, and, and they're trying to stay busy because one of our biggest, um, one of the biggest things we do when we get nervous or anxious is we try to stay busy, okay, so we don't have to think about it. But I also saw a lot of hurt and a lot of confusion and a lot of just, we need a minister. You understand, church? We need a minister. Let's, God, use us in that special way. And when I get tired, God, I need to be refreshed. I need to walk in you. Well, I need to go on or else we'll never get done with our text. So um, let's, um, let's read verses 15 through 17 just as a run and go, and we'll jump into verse 18. You guys ready? Genesis chapter 34, verse 15. But on this condition, here's what they're saying. We will consent to you, okay, and they're negotiating, if you will become as we are. Every male of, of you is circumcised, and we will give you our daughters to you, and you will take um, your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone, okay? So that's, that's the deal. Here's the wrap, okay? Real simple. Listen, y'all need to get circumcised so we could be one people. If you don't want to do that, we're out of here. That's really what all of this says. Now we pick it up in verse 18. It says, And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. Now, I know what you're thinking, okay? We're talking, let's look at me, circumcision, okay? We're talking about the removal of the foreskin from the you-know-where, Now, this is a tough deal. This is a tough deal. Why? Okay, let, let me, I want you to think this through, okay? You have the Jewish people who were given the rights of circumcision as a covenant, and now they're using it to try to get the Hivites who were not circumcised to be circumcised. But let me just say this. Many cultures, guys, in this time, they practice circumcision, Okay? especially the Jews. Now, when a marriage union from a non-covenant people, this is how they wanted to look as, as best as possible. Now, this didn't appeal to them, to the Hivites, but it wasn't foreign to them either. In other words, they weren't like, oh, what? You want us to do what? They understood. They're like, oh, really? You, huh, could we negotiate something else? I mean, this is circumstance. This is, this is brutal, man. Um, Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. What could we give you? Well, let's see, uh, Shechem, what did, okay, I don't, hmm, okay. But now the task, listen to me, is getting others to go along with it. Look at verse 19. It's going to get good, guys. It says, so the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. So Shechem's like, yeah, 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 let's go. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. Verse 20. And Hamor and Shechem came to the gate of the city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, okay, here's the rap. 
These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let him dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. Okay, your attention, please. Listen. Hamor and Shechem take the terms of the proposal to the citizens for approval. Okay? However, if you'll notice, if you'll do a careful study of chapter 34... The conversation with the men of the city of Hamor and Shechem, they were not completely honest. You understand, they were not completely honest. You go, how so? Well, let's dig a little bit more. According to Genesis 34.10, look at that real quick. It says, Hamor presented these terms. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. That's what he told them. You you guys see where I'm going? Now, to the people of Shechem, notice what he said. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation because it's a little bit clearer. He says, guys, guys, guys. Now he's sitting at the gate. He says, guys, these, these people are our friends. He says, let's invite them to live here among us and trade. Look, the land is large enough to hold them. Oh, by the way, we can take their daughters as wives and let them marry ours. See, we'll be, we'll be one. And when they consider staying here and becoming one people with us, if all our men will be circumcised just as they are. You know, I mean, that's kind of a quick throw in. And then he says, but listen. If we do this, all their livestock, their possessions will be eventually ours. Come on, man. Let's agree to the terms and let's let them here among us. Okay? Here is your first indication, guys, of hashtag false news. That's really what it is. Why? Because do you see what is happening? Hamor is persuading the men at the gate. Now, we know that the gate was the social and commercial hub of the city. So he's trying to convince them, but he's not telling them the truth, right? He's trying to convince them, listen, by doing something, circumcision, that they would all benefit greatly. You, you, you understand, okay? Hey, here's the deal. If we'll just all get circumcised, men, okay, then, then we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make out very well on this thing. We're gonna have their livestock. We're gonna be rich, guys. It's gonna be this is a good investment, and it's just for the for the simple low price of the circumcision, you'll be all right. And wait, there's more. If you order today, you'll get Ginsu night. I mean, you guys understand, right? This is what he's doing, right? It's the infomercial of the century. But listen, there's something here that jumped out at me in light of where we are in our world. And you go, what is that? There are two great motivators that can cause a people to do something they really don't want to do. What's that? Number one, it's the promise of prosperity. What do you mean? Hey, 
Jesse, if you'll do this, you'll have a better life. Well, I want a better life. Uh, Okay, well, it's going to hurt. Well, just a little, but you'll have a better life. That's a motivator to get people to do something that they really don't want to do. And you go, well, what's the second one? Well, it's the fear factor. It's the fear factor. If you don't do this, you won't have a good life. There's two motivators, right? Now, if you combine both, you'll have a world that's gone crazy. How so? Well, compare. In our current situation, with the governing authorities, they told us that if we don't do a certain thing, that we could all be sick, we could all die, and we'll have mass numbers of deaths. That's what they told us. Okay? 52 days ago, that's what they told us. What did it do? It struck fear, crippling fear in people. Well, what was the promise? Well, the promise, right, the promise of prosperity, the promise was if, we, if you do what we tell you to do, then you'll live a long life. You won't get sick. You won't die. So the motivation there was to do what they tell us to do. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. Well, Ben, 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 but wait a minute. In light of what's going on, should we not obey our governing authorities? Absolutely. We should obey our governing authorities through the word of God, okay? Until they tell us that we can't meet or preach the word of God. See, the church is essential. Okay, Jesus is essential. And I'm not telling you that you should not wash your hands and you shouldn't. Listen, I'm not saying any of that. What I'm telling you is there's two motivators and we have to be so careful because I want to take you back to what biblically we should be doing in this situation. And you go, what's that? Here it is. Ready? We learned that we must respect, okay? If you're sitting at home, say respect. We must respect COVID-19. I was talking to Joseph earlier in my office, and I said, Joseph, I believe there is a virus. I know there's a virus that, that people get, and they get sick. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, well, there's no virus. I'm going to go out and lick door handles. You know, that's not what I'm saying. I get it, okay? I'm not going to go and, and, and have someone sneeze in my face. I get there's a virus, but I, so I respect it. I respect it. I wash my hands. I use hand sanitizer. I'm super careful. Specifically, be super careful if you're compromised your health in any way. I understand that. But biblically, don't let it control you out of fear. What we've done, here's what fear does, guys. Fear takes God out of the equation. And then you're just left with what you have. Fear takes God and says, okay, God, you're not in this equation. You have no ruling authority in my life. And now I have to try to fix it. And, 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 and no, bring God back into the equation. Say, okay, God, I'm not ruled by fear. You know that the word of God tells us 365 times, either do not fear or do not be afraid. That's one for every day. And so when I'm afraid... I will not be afraid because the Bible says, don't be afraid. That's my song. How about that? There you go. There you go. 
Why? My Jesus, everybody say my Jesus. He told us that he would be with us, guys. That he would walk with us. He told us that he is the way and the truth and the life. And he has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. That's what I like about that. That's what I like about that. Well, back in verse 24. So what did they do? So all and all who went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem, his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. So he, they convinced him, bro, let's go. No, okay. So, right, either the promise of prosperity or the fear factor. Nonetheless, you've got every single male in Shechem going to get circumcised. Now, Israel, Jewish people, would be circumcised on the eighth day as a baby, Okay. These are grown men. These are young boys. These are. So here's what they said. We accept the deal. And every male was circumcised. Now, here's what I want you to jot down. You realize that they were going to be quarantined. See how I put that in? For at least three weeks. What? Yeah. Right? Why? Because this is a very painful process. This is a very painful, it's, it's painful for a kid, but in the eighth day, there's enough vitamin K that the, the child heals right away. But as an, an adult, oh, that's going to hurt. Now, think about this economically, okay? This cost, this was a very big cost for the city. I mean, Shechem had to be worth it. I mean, they had to present an overwhelming case. Why? Every male was going to be laid up for at least a week, but two to three weeks. They're not working. My thinking was even though they had their misgivings about it, like, ah, oh, I'm not sure, right? So, so, so you could picture the scene right there. You're hanging out with your bro, and you're like, hey, did you hear the new, the new mandate? You know, I think there is a, I mean, they're, they're, he's wanting to, uh, all, all of us get circumcised. What do you think about that? I'm not going to do that, bro. You're crazy. No, I know, bro, I'm with you. But I was thinking maybe because, you know, I, I, and really, what was the explanation? Shechem was a big town. Here's just a little tribe of, of, of Jacob with just a, a few servants and stuff. Yeah, but there might be a good-looking girl out there for me, man. Yeah, okay, I'll do it. I don't know what the conversation was, but I'm thinking that they, they had some misgivings. But eventually, listen to me, they decided it was the price worth paying in order to absorb the people and their wealth. So somehow that little conversation of, what do you think, bro? No, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, maybe I should. It turned into, yeah, I'm going to do it. Really? Yeah, me too. Prosperity, guys, is a strong motivator. I have a question for you. When do you think the men would be kind of in the worst pain? About three days later. It's probably the worst pain. Okay? So guess what? Three days later, look at verse 25. Now it came to pass on the third day 
when the men were in pain. Now, again, the text indicates that maybe it took about three days for all the men. So it wasn't that they all did it on one day. You know what I mean? It was like from morning to night. Oh, oh, you know, whatever it is. I mean, uh, and, and, and then, and then, and then this just came to mind right now. Who did it? I mean, what did John, it's like, who, who, who's the guy like, come here, you're next, bro. I mean, whatever it is, but, but it's three days nonetheless. Okay. I got to stay on track. It's three days. And the Bible says when they were in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and they killed all the males. All of a sudden, this story turns very, very, very dark. Guys, two wrongs don't make a right. And this is crazy. Simeon and Levi, guys, they're, they're Dinah's full-blooded brothers, they wage a two-man war of revenge. And they kill all the men of Shechem. And not only do they kill all the men, so all the men are home recovering, they can't walk, they're a lot of pain, and they come in and they just... The Bible says in verse 26, and they killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword. And they took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out, which leads us to believe that Dinah was being held captive there in Shechem's house. And so it was not only, they not only killed um, Hamor and Shechem, but they, um, they took Dinah back. Nowhere in the text, guys, did Simeon and Levi say, you know what, maybe we should ask the Lord. I wonder what God is thinking about this. I think they were just going out for sweet revenge. Oh, yeah, for the moment, we're going to get them back. They defiled our, our sister. In verse 27, it says, the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city. Because their sister had been defiled. Now, okay, so let, let's do some work, okay? Now, the rest of Dinah's brothers, who were they? Reuben, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, they, didn't, they weren't part of the two-man plan, plot, okay? But they were like, did you hear what Simeon did? Did you hear what Levi did? Everybody's... And so they came upon all these dead dudes, right, in the whole city. And then the Bible says that they, what? They plundered the city. They started taking the stuff. And they realized they were doing that because Why? Because their sister had been defiled. It makes you kind of wonder, guys, where you, where you rub your chin and you go, hmm. It makes you wonder why Simeon and Levi would carry out such violence. I wonder, remember, it's just me, if it had to do with Jacob not reacting to the tragedy. So why do you kill all the men? Why didn't you just kill Hamor? Why didn't you just kill Shechem? Why did you kill all the men? Well, first of all, you're thinking, if we kill all the men, there'd be no chance of retribution, right? There'd be, we, there, there's no way they could attack us. All that would be left is the women and the children and all the stuff in Shechem, okay? So let's kill all the men. That's a reason. But guys, two wrongs don't make a right. But killing all the men was going to the extreme. You know how? 
So much so that later on in the law of Moses, guys, it was introduced that you would actually be a law to limit retribution. In other words, the punishment had to fit the crime. Here's where we get that, that saying, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's, that's the law of retribution. That's where you go, oh, okay. Well, you, you raped our daughter, so we're going to kill everyone in the whole world. You know what I mean? It's like, no, 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 an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And that's where it kind of came from. The punishment must fit the crime. Let me just take a moment right here to offer some encouragement because we learned this when we were raising our children. Whenever you raise your children, guys, and you have to discipline them, make sure the punishment fits the crime. Okay? And one of the biggest, one of the biggest things in our house was, was disobedience to mom and dad. That was a big one. That was the top, that was the number one spot. And you go, why would that be number one spot? That's where privileges were being taken away. That's where grounding was coming in. And you go, why? Because if they're disobedient to somebody they can see, they're going to be disobedient to someone they can't see. But if something happened where, like, like my two daughters would fight and we had to separate him, well, the punishment wouldn't be, well, here, grounded, you're not going to go to your favorite soccer or your basketball tournament. That would, that would, that, that's too extreme. We say, okay, so now you can't play with your sister or you can't play with her. You guys understand, the punishment needs to fit the crime. And I think that's a good truth from the word of God. Verse 28, they took their sheep, this is the plunder, the oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field and all their wealth, and all the little ones and their wives, and they took captive, and they plundered all that was in the houses. Now, let your guys go back memory real quick. Do you guys remember Jacob was very wealthy? He, the boys had everything. As a matter of fact, remember, he was trying to give some to Esau. He, he was doing well, and now they're even taking more. They're taking more. They plundered everything in the city. Now, I want you to note, guys, I want you to note Jacob's reaction, okay? Oh, by the way, just a side note, if, you're, if you write in your Bible, do we remember that, that God had changed Jacob's name to Israel? Last chapter, you remember? When he was out wrestling with God, he says, you'll no longer be Jacob, heel catcher, deceiver, you're going to be Israel, which means God's rules, God rules. I find it interesting that his name was changed to Israel, yet he's still acting like Jacob. Look at verse 30. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites, the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me, and I shall be destroyed, my household and I. That's his rap, okay? That's his rap. You go, whoa, wait, whoa, 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 Jacob, dude, seriously? Let me, let me read it this way. He said, you have made my name stink to high heaven among the people here in the Canaanites and the Perizzites. If they decide to gang up on us and attack us, boys, we wouldn't stand a chance. And they'd whip me and my people right off the map. That's what he's concerned about. That's what he's concerned about. Guys, after remaining silent, do you guys remember throughout the whole chapter 34, the whole narrative? 
he finally speaks. But his chief concern, if you'll notice, is not the welfare of his daughter or even his sons. He's not even concerned that his sons slaughtered innocent people. He's not going, boys, what did you do? I raised you better than this. Boys, where's, where's my baby girl? Come here. Are you okay? I'm so sorry this happened to you. That's not, that's not Jacob right now. Jacob is concerned that their actions might cause big trouble for him. Skip Heitzig wrote this. He said, Jacob still had eye trouble. And he doesn't mean eye. He means big eye. Because at this point, it was still all about him. Guys, listen, boys. Why did you do this now? They're going to come after me. And, oh, man, my name is going to be mud. I just can't believe this. Oh, me, 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 me. That's what he's really doing, guys. But his objections seem to be silenced by, by the son's final question. Look, look at verse 31. But the boy said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? Should, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Wow. Wow. What an interesting story. As we close our study tonight, guys, and the worship team comes back up because it's a very, very short closing. I just find it really, really just, I just find it interesting, guys. I I find it interesting. Why? Well, one of the things I realized is that Jacob really never forgave Simeon and Levi. They ruined his testimony, and later, if you'll understand, Jacob pronounces their rocky future. On his deathbed, here's what Jacob says. In chapter 49, guys, verses 5 through 7, here's Jacob. He's on his deathbed. He says, Simeon and Levi are two of a kind. Their weapons are instrument of violence. May I never join their meetings. May I never be a party to their plans. For in their anger, they murdered men and crippled oxen just for sport. A curse on their anger for it is fierce, a curse on their wrath, for it is cruel. I will scatter them among the descendants of Jacob. I will disperse them throughout Israel. We don't see God mentioned in chapter 34, but I think the obvious thing is that we should always invite the Lord into our situations. For example, your situation right now may have nothing to do with Simeon or Levi or the tribes. You go, Ben, I don't have anything to do with that. Actually, my situation is a little bit different, man. Listen, I am, well, I'm actually quite lonely. Maybe your situation is that you're surrounded by people, you still have a job, you're wondering what's going on, but you are still lonely inside your heart. Or maybe your situation is a little bit different. Maybe your situation is that you have to try to deal with all the guilt, the guilt of not doing right, the guilt of your past, and you go, man, I don't know how to get rid of this guilt. And I'm still, I'm so guilty that how, 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 how do I reconcile this? You talk about heaven, you talk about Jesus, you talk about inviting him into your situation, but I'm so guilty, I don't even know. You know, I'm one of those people that if I step foot in a church, it'll burn. That's how, that's how guilty I feel. Maybe that's your situation. 
maybe your situation right now as you're watching, if you were being completely honest, is that you're afraid to die. You know there's an afterlife. You know there's a God. You know, you know he's a holy God. And, and you're still afraid to die because you go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Well, God is holy, right? He loves me, but he's also a just God. And, and you're sitting here going, man, I'm a, I, I really am, to be honest with you. I don't want to talk about death. I just, I don't know what's going on. I want things to go back to normal. Can I just tell you the answer? The other day, Nathalie and I were having a conversation. And we looked at each other and we said, in light of everything that's going on, COVID-19, in light of governments, in light of all the stuff that's happening, how should we live? How should we live knowing that this could be a dress rehearsal for the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ? And you know what we said? We need to preach the gospel more. I have a platform right here. As I look into the camera, as I look into your homes, I have a platform to tell you Jesus loves you. And I know you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you serious? Yes, listen, if you're lonely, he can come in and he can fill. If you're empty, he can come and fill. All that void, man, you've been looking for things in all the wrong places. Turn to Jesus. If you're guilty, he can take that guilt. And the Bible says that he takes our sins and he throws them as far as the east is to the west. And he drowns him in the deepest of seas. And if you're afraid to die, he'll be the one to carry you into his bosom in heaven. Who wouldn't want that? And you're going, Pastor, I want that. All you have to do is open up your heart and invite him inside. Ask him to forgive you. Put your faith and trust in him. Pastor, how? I don't know how. I don't know how to do this. Open up your heart and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm so sorry. I need you. I can't get to heaven on my own, God. I'm honestly guilty and empty and lonely, and I'm afraid to die. But based upon the authority of your word, I believe in you. And I'm asking you to come into my heart and be my Lord and be my God and be my Savior and be my friend. I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, man, we want to know about it. Please. If you prayed that prayer, listen, we rejoice with you. We love you. We're so blessed. Hey, man, if you're, if you're just on watching, man, just do a comment. I gave my life to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. If, you, if you're just like, oh, my gosh, I'm just crying right now. This is just, I can't believe this. You feel this unbelievable peace. This, this whole weight of the world has just been lifted off your shoulders. And Jesus has come into your heart. He's forgiven you, and he's given you a brand new breath of life. We want to know about it. Please, call us right now, 799-2227. Email us. I gave my life to Jesus. Whatever it is, just let us know. We want to walk with you that. We want to send you some literature. We want to just, we want to just applaud you. We want to welcome you to the family of God. That's what it's about. We love you so very much, and so does Jesus. God bless you guys. Let's worship Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you 
or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.